When you hear the word forgiveness, what does it make you think of? How does it hit you? How does it grab you? You know, forgiveness is a deep, profound subject because we all need to forgive others and we all need forgiveness. And maybe you're struggling with this subject right now about how to forgive somebody. Forgiveness literally means to send away, to leave it alone, but it can be so hard and so difficult and so challenging. That subject and what Jesus said about forgiveness is today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If my forgiveness before Almighty God was based upon me forgiving every person that I've ever had anything with or against, I might be in some trouble. Although I don't want to downplay this either, and I will say to you this, forgiveness should be the normal part of a a Christian's experience, and if you have continual unforgiveness against multiple people, you might want to ask yourself whether or not you're a Christian. And here's why. For those who have been forgiven of so many things, how can we withhold forgiveness? Now, I am not talking about those difficult, singular cases where we've been wounded. We had a phone call on the Bible Answer Show uh, just this last week, and a woman said she was struggling with fear. And somebody in her life, some well-meaning Christian said, her fear is a sin. And that uh, it was keeping her back from doing things that she wanted to do, but she had gone through this trauma and she was trying to deal with it. Look, I think there are times when forgiveness must be a process. And here's why. Because I think if you try to say you've forgiven somebody and it's not true, then you're just trying to do something to be back in good standing with God. It's like, could I run through a naughty list of people who have done me wrong? Okay, this person, this, yeah, I, I forgive him, forgive him, forgive him, forgive him, forgive, forgive. I'm right with you now, right, God? That sounds to me more like a religious duty or even a work. I think God knows that sometimes it's gonna be a process for us, but I do have questions about all of these things. Let me ask you a question. What is your biggest block to extending forgiveness to people? Could it be pride, hurt, bitterness? There's a story about a traveler making his way with a guide through the jungles of Burma. They came to a shallow but wide river and waded through it to the other side. When the traveler came out of the river, numerous leeches had attached to his torso and legs. His first instinct was to grab them and pull them off. The guide stopped him, warning that pulling the leeches off would only leave tiny pieces of them under the skin. Eventually, infection would set in. The best way to rid the body of the leeches, the guide advised, was to bathe in a warm balsam bath for several minutes. This would soak the leeches, and soon they would release their hold on the man's body. This writer says, when I've been significantly injured by another person, I cannot simply yank the injury from myself and expect that all bitterness, malice, and emotion will be gone. Resentment still hides under the surface. The only way to become truly free of the offense and to forgive others is to bathe in the soothing bath of God's forgiveness of me. When I finally fathom the extent of God's love in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of others is a natural overflow. 
You know, it's one thing to preach this and even read verses on it, but how many times have we all found in our heart that even little things we can hold on to resentment and unforgiveness? You know, it could be a minor offense, but we're like, well, how dare you? How could you do that to me? And all of a sudden, we can find that forgiveness is not as easy as some might say. I don't think that your forgiveness is uh, based upon whether or not you forgive people in an ultimate sense. But I think your forgiveness, assuming that you're a Christian this morning, will affect your prayer life and will affect your relationship with others. And I do think it's something that you have to take a hard look at because I think that the issue here for believers is more about the closeness of fellowship with God and with others. I was listening to a pastor this last week, and he said, unforgiveness leads to bitterness, division, hatred, unquenched anger, pride, resentment. It can cause our hearts to become so hard and calloused that can affect our ability to love and to trust others. And ultimately, it, if unforgiveness, if it's an ongoing attitude, could very well make evident that we are not believers at all. Now, let's look a little deeper. Let's ask the question, what's at stake here? Number one, if you're taking notes, and I'm asking the question now, what's at stake here? Our relationship with God and others is at stake here. I want you to turn for a moment to the Lord's Prayer, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, which is Matthew 6. Matthew 6. The disciples had asked Jesus a critical question. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had watched him pray so many times and Finally, they decided they'd ask him how they should pray. This is not a prayer, I do not believe, that has to be repeated word for word as a regular prayer, although there's no problem with that, and if you enjoy doing that, that's fine. But I think what Jesus is really teaching is the essence of how our normal prayer life should look and what the content of those prayers should be. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also f- have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. For if, Matthew six fourteen, you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Perhaps this is a, since this is in the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount, perhaps one of the ways that we should take this is that we should take this as the difference between a person who claims to be religious in a ritual way and a person who's truly regenerate. I think there's a difference between a person who says they believe in God and a person who's actually born again. I think that this will be the regular part of a born-again believer's life is to extend and receive forgiveness. God's forgiveness of sin is not the direct result of our forgiving others, but it is based on our realizing what forgiveness means in our lives. And we should uh, uh, note here that Jesus is mentioning twice when you pray. Now, I'd ask you to turn to Matthew 18, same book, Matthew 18. We'll look at verses Uh, We'll start in verse 21 there. But I want to remind you that in Mark 11, Jesus had just talked about mountain-moving faith. 
He said to the apostles in Mark 11, and you go back and look at this later, he said, I say to you, if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and you believe and you don't doubt, it'll happen. Now, the common Jewish expression that we all need to understand is the Jews saw a mountain being removed or relocated as a mountain of challenges and difficulties. It's very common in Jewish vernacular to say, I have a mountain of problems. And Jesus said, that mountain can be removed by praying faith. Now, here is the analogy I want to give you this morning. I think sometimes the hardest mountains to move in our lives are not to say to a literal mountain, move, and watch it go. I think it has to do with a mountain of difficulty. And one of the main difficulties that we have sometimes is letting go of hurts and wounds. And sometimes, stick with me, brothers and sisters, they begin to rise up like a mountain in our lives. They stack one upon another, and sometimes we feel like we're under the weight of that mountain, and often that mountain obscures people's view of the gospel. How can a Christian, holding on to resentment and bitterness in their heart that's become a mountain in their own lives, show forth the glory of the gospel? We, uh, we saw the case in South Carolina when that man um, I don't remember how long ago it was now, but it was a while ago, but not that long ago, went into a South Carolina church, joined the Bible study, had a gun, and killed multiple people inside that church in South Carolina. Just devastating. They welcomed him in. It certainly appeared to be a hate crime. He was a white guy. He shot a bunch of black people. He was trying to make a statement. It came out that there was stuff about his past where there was racism there. But he killed some of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And what amazed me about those families is that when he was being, um, he was in the court and uh, the family members had a chance to address him one after the other, they were extending forgiveness to that man. They were saying, look, you took one of the most important people in my life away from me, but I forgive you. And I pray that God will have mercy on your soul. And I tell you what, folks, you look at that and you're like, wow. That, that is an incredible, uh, I, I guess you would say, an incredible testimony to the gospel. In Matthew 18, verse 21, let's pick that up the story there. Peter said, came and said to him, Lord, how, Matthew 18 21, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, 23, may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves or servants. When he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's just say that that number is a number where he could never pay off what he owed this king. It would take him something like 16,000 years if he gave all his daily wages to the king to pay off this debt. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had, and repayment be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, the king, and he said, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion. And he released him and forgave him the debt. 
But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, about three months worth of wages for a common laborer. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however. He went and threw him in uh, prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. They came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So my heavenly father, so shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. It is interesting to think about the fact that this story is shared in a famous chapter, Matthew 18, namely verses 15 through 20, that deals with church discipline. In fact, Jesus tells this story right on the heels of talking to his followers about discipline in the church. And here's what he basically means. He's saying, look, forgiveness does not mean that sin isn't serious. Forgiveness does not mean that there shouldn't be church discipline. Forgiveness does not mean that sin does not have consequences. Forgiveness does not mean that sometimes even when you forgive a person, your relationship cannot be salvaged. All of those are reality. I think we need to understand the Bible from the full perspective that sometimes a person is forgiven like King David of his sin with Bathsheba, but the consequences... Hey folks, we'll be back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. I want to tell you about our brand new store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of great products up there and we have a new product. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult where we actually look at the subject of demon possession, which comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Go to walkintruth.com, purchase your copy today of Dark Dangers of the Occult, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us at Walk in Truth. Thank you so much, and now, back to the teaching. Forgiveness does not mean that sin does not have consequences. Forgiveness does not mean that sometimes even when you forgive a person, your relationship cannot be salvaged. All of those are reality. I think we need to understand the Bible from the full perspective that sometimes a person is forgiven like King David of his sin with Bathsheba, but the consequences followed like night follows day. David was told the child's gonna die. Uh, What you did in secret, your sons are gonna do on the rooftops and the sword is never going to leave your house. Consequences. Yet the moment David asks for forgiveness, it was extended to him. Here's my point. Just because you forgive somebody, it does not mean that they're not going to have to deal with the consequences. And sometimes forgiveness is probably more important to us than it is to that other person. Example. When I was four years old, my father left our family he decided to cheat on my mom and uh, leave the family, and I never saw him again. He called me one time when I was 18 because he thought he was dying of a heart attack, and it turned out to be a false uh, scare. He made a promise during that telephone call. He lived in Chicago area. We are in Southern California at the time. 
He said, I'm going to come and visit you. He never showed up. Some years later, uh, I was on an Ancestry website, and I was able to, to look. You know, Someone in the office was telling me to check this out, and I looked. I put my dad's name in, and I found out that uh, morning that my dad had died three years before that. And so there was, you know, look, as an individual, we always hold out hope that if someone's let us down in our past, maybe there's a chance that we can reconcile. Maybe someone will come to their senses. Maybe there'll be an opportunity for reconciliation or redemption of that person. But it was over. And I had to settle something in my heart. I had to forgive my father. I don't know if my forgiveness meant anything to him because he never spoke to me and he never knew what was going on in my heart, but I needed to forgive my dad. Everybody understand that? I needed to let it go. I needed to release my father into God's hands and say, Lord, whatever was going on in his life, he made his decisions and I'm just going to release him into your care. I don't know if my dad's in heaven I don't know if my dad did any business with God before he died. I have no idea. But, I, but for the sake of who I am and what resentment and bitterness would do to me, I'm letting it go. And, you know, sometimes our forgiveness has very little to do with anybody. Years ago, when Bill Clinton was up to his shenanigans in the White House, Billy Graham was interviewed, and Billy Graham said, I forgive Bill Clinton. And some of us said, well, Billy, that's nice, but I'm not sure that that really matters. I understand what Billy Graham was saying. He was extending grace, but none of us really knew if Bill Clinton had repented of what he did. And ultimately, what had to happen there is that that act, which is duplicated on this planet, who knows how many times during a week, was really between that person and God and the person that he had, persons that he had sinned against. Everybody with me? So sometimes we just forgive people because that's what we need to do. And as a believer, the Bible says these words. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, a lot of you have been around the church for a number of years, and you know that 1 John 1, 9 is a verse that's written to Christians. Some people debate that, but I have no doubt it's written to Christians. I don't think that 1 John 1, 9 is talking about that every time I confess my sin, I'm saved over and over and over again. I don't think that's what the Bible's teaching. But I think what it's saying is that I need a practical forgiveness. There's a difference between a once-for-all judicial forgiveness, here's what I mean, where God, as in a court of law, says, no longer guilty because my son paid for Michael Lance's sins. But there's a practical forgiveness, and here's what I think 1 John 1, 9 is after. I think it's talking about things that muddy my relationship with God or things that can be a hindrance to intimate fellowship with God, and that is unforgiveness in my heart. There's a parallel text that we'll take a look at together, and it's found in 1 Peter. Let's go over there, 1 Peter chapter 3. So towards the back of your New Testament, 1 Peter 3, just a single verse, but it's an important one. It's talking about a marriage here, 1 Peter 3. And the wives are addressed in verses 1 through 6, and the husbands are addressed in verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. Here's what it says. You husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker vessel, since she is a woman, 
and grant her honor, 1 Peter 3, 7, as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the weakness there is the woman's femininity. It doesn't mean that she's less than a man in all categories. It just means that typically men have wider shoulders than women, and she's feminine, she's a woman, so she needs to be cared for in a special way. It's talking really about her physical weakness uh, as less than a man. If you want to bear this out, when you go home, arm wrestle your wife. <laughs> if you're a man in this room, you should win. <laughs> if you lose, you're pathetic. <laughs> and we need to get you on a workout program. But I digress. <laughs> because the, the context is actually looking at a husband's treatment of his wife and saying, if you mistreat her, get this, gentlemen, your prayers will be hindered. What prayers? Some, some scholars say your prayers for an unbelieving wife, possible. But it may well be that God will say, if you are mistreating your wife, don't bother praying. Go make it right first, Similar words Jesus shares in Matthew 5, it's around verse 22, 23, where he says, look, leave the gift at the altar and go be reconciled first. Don't play a religious game when you are mistreating your wife that you're supposed to love as Christ loved the church and then think that you can go and pray and everything's gonna be fine and God's just gonna give you all that you pray for. Uh-uh. Your prayers are gonna be hindered. I think God's going to say, you better deal with that first before you come to me for anything. Don't ask me for blessings if you can't even love the one that you committed to love. Now look, that doesn't mean we're not going to have issues. That doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have times when we have to, you know, chill out, walk away, wake up the next morning and say, I'm sorry. You know, some, some uh, marriage ministries have said, you know, they've taken the verse, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and they've said, that verse means that before you go to bed, you got to work everything out. I don't think that that's what that verse means. Because if you take it literally, it means before the sun goes down, you got to work it out, which could be five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> what it's meaning is reconcile as quickly as you can, but sometimes the best thing you can do is say, let's take a T.O., baby. That's a timeout. And let's cool our jets before this gets dumber and stupider. Is that a word, stupider? And this just turns into a bunch of things that we're going to regret. Let's chill out. I'm going to go do some business with God. You do some business with God. And we'll come back and talk about this. Amen? Amen. Now, there's a couple other verses I'm going to point out. First one is in Ephesians 4.32. And this is how it works with Christians. Let's turn there. Ephesians 4.32. Here's what Paul says. He's been talking about putting on the new man, the clothing of the new nature, Ephesians 4.32. And he says these words. And, and before you get there, let me just explain that I think that in order for a Christian to regularly forgive, you've got to put on the clothing of the new nature, which is almost synonymous with the armor of God, okay? When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you the power, the eyesight, 
the willingness to forgive when everything in you says, no, not going to do it. And then you go into your prayer closet and you say, oh, Lord, clothe me with your power. Clothe me with your heart. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way. These are all synonymous terms. Clothed with the new man, armor of God. They all mean that God is dominating your life. And then you can do things that you never thought you could do before. Like, get the words out of your mouth. I forgive you. Or sometimes it's, will you forgive me? Have you ever, anybody, you ever tried that one before? Oh, that was, there's like two people in the room. <laughs> Boy, when we finish up, we're going to do some business with the Lord this morning. It was more than two. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ, what? Also has forgiven you. You should forgive each other. Did you, did you all get that? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Not one time will you ever come to the Lord and he says, I won't forgive you. Just a little bit to your right is the book of Colossians. Go to chapter three. Look at verse 12. This again is a treatment of the new man. Colossians 3, 12 says, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Who writes this? Everybody? Paul. You think Paul had some things to try to forgive people for? Ever followed his missionary journeys in the book of Acts? Ever read his letter to the Corinthians? Where they're saying, you're not terribly impressive. We're not even sure you're apostle. And in fact, we prefer Apollos and Peter over you. Ouch. The guy that planted that church was being mocked by people in the church, leadership in the church. And Paul says, and beyond all these things, Colossians 3.14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Keep reading. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Just want to remind you about our store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of new products up there, a lot of exciting topics with apologetics and studies of different subjects. One of the things that's up there right now is the anatomy of a fall, how to avoid a fall into sexual sin like King David did. A lot of practical teaching in that particular message. And I want you to go to walkintruth.com, click on the store. When you purchase any of the products, you partner with us in Walk in Truth to reach more people with the truth of Jesus Christ. If you believe in this ministry, that's one of the ways that you can partner with us. We appreciate very much you listening. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. Partner with us in prayer and go to the store and partner with us in giving. We appreciate it. God bless you. And we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.